Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. I see every day as a gift now, and that certainly is a bit of an energy shift internally. I mean, I've always been a really happy person, so it's not like I was depressed or anything before, but maybe I'm just a little extra happy and extra excited to meet people and have opportunities now. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised L.A., and I created We Are L.A. Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Welcome back. To the We Are LA Tech podcast, spotlighting LA Tech companies and talent. So excited to have our next guest, Sam, coming at us from West Hollywood. Hello, Sam. Hey, Esprit. I'm super happy to finally be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here. I can't even remember. Did we? I think we synced up because you make really funny responses on Twitter. Or Prob- something. Yeah, probably part of it. <laughs> I, I first remember coming across you like eight years ago when I when I was kind of starting in the startup scene in LA. And then yeah, I just get fed up with venture capitalists and, and other characters on Twitter and make sort of snarky responses that yeah. I guess some people find amusing. I, so. I really appreciate it. You know what they are? They're snarky with like a hundred percent truth behind them. Yeah. So it's not like sassy snark. It's like, no, actually this is what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, it's not hard to call out some of those tweets. So. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, I'm I'm Sam, originally from New York, and I do product design and engineering, and I've been doing that my whole life. But I guess more recently I started a, a design firm called Birch and Design House in November of 2015. So it's been almost eight years exactly. It's been quite a roller coaster and a lot of fun, uh, but we do all sorts of stuff. I basically, in a nutshell, do end-to-end product development in the hardware space in all sorts of industries. So a lot of consumer products, consumer tech, medical, dental, transportation. Uh, we've done a lot of different things. Give us an example of a type of client that would hire you and what you would create for them. Let me try and think of a good one because a lot of our products are are not super exciting, but I, I've done uh, some drone designs for, for a company. Um, we did a golf cart. I've done an intraoral scanner for a dental company. I have a, another dental client called Coco Floss, and we've done pretty much that whole line of products that they have. Right now, I'm doing some stuff in the brewing industry. So, you know, we're really across the board. What would you say is a product that you've been the most proud of? Even if it's boring. Mm. There's a, a design we did for Cocoa Floss, and this is like a not in the startup world. It's not a super. Wait, I have Cocoa Floss. Do you? Yeah, cool. They're they're <laughs> they're uh, they're starting to blow up, which is awesome. 
Um, well, you, you'd like this then. We, we just did a professional size floss dispenser, but I think they're going to, I hope I can say this, I think they're going to release it to uh, more, more mass market and directly to the consumer. And uh, it looks really cool. It's really, really pretty, functions really well, and, and it just makes flossing a, a much more pleasant experience, especially for people like me that don't love flossing. So we're going to take this interview in a ton of different pathways that both Sam and I are aware of, but you listening or not. Because- I'm actually not super aware, so I'm excited <laughs> to see where we go. Well, one, you have so many different exposures to uh, the various areas of L.A., primarily downtown L.A. Now you're in West Hollywood, but downtown has so much like narrative around it. Like it was supposed to come back and then it didn't come back. And then the government offered like deals that if you got leasing there. And so one time I was going to get an office. Like, so I'm curious about your perspective on downtown LA, on the building community. And then of course, you know, being a skydiver and surviving, you know, something when it didn't go. (laughs) You didn't land smoothly. <laughs> no, I definitely should not be alive. So, yeah, let's let's talk about downtown LA yeah, first. Yeah, let's Down, start there. Downtown LA is interesting. Personally, I really enjoyed most of my time there, and I spent nine years there from 2012 on. And uh, it, it, when I first got there, it sort of went through through phases. So when I first got there. I really liked it because there was a wide variety of interesting people. There was a bunch of finance people, but also a lot of artists and creative people and in generally a really like positive community type environment to at least the younger crowd in downtown. And it was relatively safe for a downtown. Uh, you know, we used to walk from apartment to apartment and, and various good restaurants in the area. And, uh, you know, creatively it was, it, was, it was inspiring, which was super cool. We then had a lot of foreign investment into downtown, and it was it was sort of forecasted to have a big resurgence, as as you guys know. I mean, tons of buildings went up. A, a lot of money was going in for residential and retail and office space, um, and and that was sort of cut short by by COVID, and, and a lot of those developments actually stopped midway. So there's some, there's, there's, I mean, there's a, there's a development called Oceanwide that was supposed to be a billion dollar project. I know they're close to $2 billion and it's been sitting there unfinished for five years. So that, that story sort of resonates through a lot of uh, commercial real estate projects in downtown. And over the last few years, I feel that quality of life in downtown has went downhill it's just more dangerous and it's not, it's really not very clean. The area I lived in, I I liked a lot. It was called South Park near Staples Center. And if I were to move back to downtown, which I wouldn't rule out, like I I, I certainly, you know, don't, don't hate it now. Um, But I, I think that was a great area. And the Arts District is pretty cool too. It's just a bit removed from the rest of downtown due to, due to Skid Row, which you may have heard of. Totally. Did, yeah. did you find that there was a vibrant tech community in downtown? Yeah, I'd say pretty vibrant. I'm on the hardware side of things, and there's a, a thing called Lacey, LA Clean Tech Incubator, which is home to a lot of hardware startups. And there was certainly no no shortage of tech events, networking events hosted in downtown and 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 startups. Now I think it's actually getting more popular for the tech world. From from what I hear, you know, a lot of people are saying downtown's hot, and I feel like an outsider at this point because I'm now a year and a half since I've moved out of downtown. So 
I'm like, oh man, maybe I'm missing out now. But yeah, you, you know, downtown is still relatively conducive relative to the rest of LA uh, for building businesses, which is cool. Like you, you can escape the city tax and uh, there's, there's a lot of vendors and, and, and a good network of people that can support building a business. Tell us more about the city tax. I don't know much about it because I always skipped on paying it. I, I think, <laughs> you know, with a lot of write-offs and stuff, you can get your revenue or your, your, your profit, your gross profit below the threshold that, that they need. I, I actually think, I'm not a CPA, check out what it says, but I think if you're a startup for the first three years, you're not responsible for the city tax. And then I believe if your revenue is over, no, if your profit's over a hundred grand, uh, you have to pay it. So it's it's basically just another another tax in California that right. you know isn't great. Um, okay, so downtown. So you're not writing downtown off because it, it's something that's come up come up a lot. Uh, but West Hollywood's where it's at now. Well, I don't know about that. I, you know, if I was starting a business in LA, I'm not sure I'd choose West Hollywood. I would probably choose downtown. From you where, would. Yeah, I, I I think I think downtown would be a Better place Not to build Santa a Monica? business. I don't know. The West Side has always had a strong tech scene, and I've always gone to events there, but I'm not super familiar because I've mm. never lived there. But yeah, yeah, sure. Like Silicon Beach, Santa Monica, um, you know, they all have strong tech scenes. West Hollywood probably less so than the rest of them. But for where I'm at career wise at this point, and and in in personal life. Uh, it's worked out really well for me. And, you know, now I, I'm looking for more inspiration and uh, a place where I feel creative rel- rather than being close to other startups. And you're coming up upon your 10-year anniversary of your company. You're two years shy, right? Yeah. How, are you f- how do you feel about your company now? I ask even from a personal place because I, this is 11 years of me doing this. Yeah. And it's a different experience than when you first start. It is. And uh, I wouldn't mind getting into this. I was hoping you'd ask because, <laughs> I mean, if you were to take You want to get into podcasting? No, 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 no. <laughs> into, into company development mm. and, and evolution over time. Yeah. I'm just going to sort of summarize uh, from a chronological standpoint, how how things have progressed for me. First few years, certainly struggling, the same, you know, startup struggles that everyone's had, same sob stories. I was broke and uh, parents didn't know. I sold my car and, like, was eating P- the PB&J, the whole thing, right? And, and there's a lot of funny stories there. But eventually I got to the point where I was making enough to live comfortably and have a, a pretty decent quality of life and travel and be happy, but not enough to like really raise a family in LA or or, or think about the future. But that was a really dangerous time for me. I certainly fell into a a complacent state of mind where I wasn't focusing much on growth and was just sort of focusing on enjoying life because certainly in the first bunch of years I was in startups, I thought you just had to work nonstop. Mm -hmm. And I did that, Mm -hmm. didn't travel, didn't enjoy life. And, and, you know, at one point I was, I was in my mid twenties and I was, I, I sort of, I thought it was like, is, is this what I want to be doing with all of my time right now? Like yeah. you're only in your mid twenties once. So made a conscious decision to, to do things outside of work. And I definitely let off the gas work wise. You mentioned the skydiving crash and we can talk about that, but that was about two years ago at this point. 
And that, that was a huge life event for me. It cost me a bunch of money. It cost me work-wise almost a year of my time and uh, really made it feel like the time following that was, was very similar to year one of starting my business. You know, I felt more startup-y in the last two years than, than I had in the years prior. Before we get into that, just a, like a, a note or a comment, what I found similar to you is that I have a very difficult time, quote unquote, hustling, mm -hmm. but not because I'm not able to, but because I value living. Yeah. And it's uh, very confusing because some nights, if it was a few years ago, I would stay up all night till my eyes hurt and I just couldn't possibly mm -hmm. keep my eyes open any longer. Today, I'm like, I think it's very important I get adequate sleep and I'm rested. And I think that's more important to my health and whatever it is that I feel I have to get done, it will be fine to get done tomorrow. I feel very conflicted between those two. Yeah. Uh, do you, you feel the same? Yeah. But pre-skydiving, like when you were transitioning, because I know you've learned so much now with your accident. Yeah. So right before that, yeah. So pre-skydiving, it, it was sort of an either-or thing for me. I mean, I went from working nonstop to letting off the gas and – enjoying things in life, being health, you know, focus, focusing on a healthy lifestyle. And uh, I, 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 I'll say that my productivity didn't drop when I, when I started not working nonstop, uh, but I wasn't growing. Mm. Um, but what I've learned more recently is like it's all mindset because you ask how I feel about my business today. It, it's really great. It's in a better place it's, than it's ever been. I mm. mean, it's it's – it's unbelievable the amount of progress. And I'm not saying this to brag. I'm just saying this for to sort of, sort of show how a, sh a, a mind shift or, or finding what ingredient you're missing uh, can change things. And I spent years trying to figure out what ingredient I was missing because I, I thought I had big potential, uh, but I wasn't reaching that potential. Yeah. And I was soul searching and yeah. really just trying to figure that out. Um, and you know, it's different for everyone, but when you do figure that out or at least get a hint of starting to figure that out, right. I mean, the difference is huge. So the skydiving accident was two years ago. I was in the hospital for three months. I it was basically not working for eight months. I mean, I had to relearn how to walk and had to get comfortable selling and doing every and getting current with technology in every aspect of, of business. So I've made a lot of progress in the last year, more more so than any other period of my business, except for maybe shortly after year one, when I really when I when I when I was financially constrained and forced to 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 make things happen, I did, uh, and I'm seeing that same sort of progress now. So you know, so much has changed in the last year. It, business is better than it's ever been. So it's it's just it's wild to look back and and think I spent six years not getting to this point, and then I just spent less than a year, and I'm, I'm at a point that's you know in a lot of ways closer to my goals than I ever have been. So walk us through your skydiving experience that led to what now you've been learning to that I imagine is what led to the mindset to have all the growth, right? Mm -hmm. Well. I mean, First of all, would you skydive again? Uh, yes, but it's not likely. The main reason is I put my parents through so much. I 
I, you know, they, they would not be happy with me ever doing uh, something like that again. It's important to note that skydiving can sort of be as safe or as dangerous as as you make it. Mm. So if you just go jump out, if you go get your skydiving license and, and you go jump out of a plane and pull your parachute, it's really very, very, very safe. But like anything, as you get better, you start pushing the limits and mm. there's lots of avenues you can do in skydiving that multiply the danger by, by quite a bit. I mean, what I was doing was it's called swooping and it's probably... I don't know, 10 or 100 times more dangerous than a regular skydive. It's really dangerous. I always Did you know it was dangerous? Oh yeah, I always knew that crashing was was uh something that could happen, a possibility, and that's probably something that helped me mentally through the whole recovery process. Like I was at peace with it. I knew it could happen. It happened to me and uh I'm lucky to be alive and you know, <laughs> got to make the most of every day. So, I knew it was dangerous. Um, I don't know if my parents knew how dangerous it was. So anyway, I, I don't, I don't have any plans to skydive or not skydive. I mean, right now, physically, I couldn't even do it. Um, I just want to get healthier every day and, uh, get back some of the lower hanging fruit, just stuff like tennis and surfing and, you know, things that are a, a little less extreme. And I definitely plan on living in a safer manner moving forward because I can tell you that going through what I went through is not something that you want to do once, let alone twice. I don't want to ask you any questions you'd rather not answer. I find it really interesting. You can ask me anything. The, just the – when I ask would you skydive again, it's more like do you – wish it never happened or is everything that you've learned since worth it? I hear so many people that go through really tragic things and then they're like, I wouldn't change anything. Are are you in that camp or are you like, oh, no, I would totally yeah, not I, have that accident? I'd say I'm in that camp. I'd certainly try not to live with regrets. I look for lessons in everything, even though sometimes they are tough to find. And my life has changed for better in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, like I said, just business-wise. It's, it is one aspect, and it's, it's just wild to see what a difference my working life is now versus how, how it was before this accident. So, no, I wouldn't change anything. I certainly do hope that I can get to a point where I'm living relatively pain-free and able to do most everything I was doing before. Uh, what are the lessons that you've brought up that you've learned that you've been applying to your business to make it fast-track so much uh, more effectively than before your accident? This sounds cliche, but it's valuing my time, I would say, is a, is a big one. Um, looking at my time differently, and it's really tough to say, but I, I guess I see every day as a gift now, and that certainly is a bit of an energy shift internally. I mean, I've always been a really happy person, so it's not like I was depressed or anything before, uh, but maybe I'm just a little extra happy and extra excited to meet people and have opportunities now. And um, I also feel really confident in the value I I deliver and um, just made the decision to I mean, it's 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 tough to say. Made the decision to work with clients that that appreciate that and pay uh, accordingly to that because it, it certainly I had to I had to crawl out of a hole and take on smaller jobs initially. Um, but I I just I just you know I'm just trying to skyrocket from here. Um, work you know work my way up and 
as you gain some freedom, with it be it time or financially or whatever, you can be more selective with what you do with your time. Um, so that's what I'm valuing right now. I don't know if this is too personal, but being that you're an entrepreneur, did you have health insurance set up with your company or what happened? Yeah, seriously, nothing's too personal. I'm, I'm totally an open book because I think there's lessons everywhere. I had health insurance. I was a really healthy person, so I had a pretty small health insurance plan. And I'm happy to get into the numbers if you want. But long If you're st- comfortable, yeah. Yeah, totally. So, I, I mean, I, I try and think about how much this pull, the, this crash cost me overall. Probably, you know, probably at least 100 grand. I mean, if, if you put my time into it more than, more than that, yeah. the time I wasn't working. But actual expenses, I had three out-of-pocket maxes for an insurance plan that was a pretty minimal plan. So, you know, that was 15 grand a year or something. There was stuff that insurance didn't cover. And one thing that was a wild experience was was I really was lucky to be like mentally able to do battle with the insurance company companies. And, and you really feel for people that, you know, might be older or don't have the time or energy to fight with the insurance company because, boy, I, I had to fight tooth and nail for every single little thing. And it was, it was I, easily six months of almost a full-time job fighting with the insurance company to, to, to get stuff paid. So, you know, overall, I came out okay. I, I think the, the actual cost was over $5 million that the insurance company paid. Wow. I mean, I had, I've had over 10 surgeries and all sorts of stuff. So that small insurance plan covered the yeah, bulk of it. Yeah, I mean, I see people. I see people on Twitter, startup people, you know, flexing that they're grinding so hard that they don't pay for insurance or something. It's stupid. You know, it, anything can happen to anyone. You get hit by a car or something. Uh, I definitely recommend having insurance. I would have obviously claimed bankruptcy if I didn't have insurance. I don't have five million dollars, so. Um, no, it saved my ass. It saved me a bankruptcy, and it was a it was a real pain in the neck. It was a lot of fighting. Since then, I've upped my insurance plan to one that includes the the, the surgeons in network that that I that I use. And uh, I mean, I, I still have some surgeries going, so I was planning on cost this time. When you know you're going to have expensive medical stuff, you can plan more accordingly. But yeah, having even a minimal plan, I mean, made the difference between me having a bankruptcy or not. That's so many startups don't have insurance. So, yeah, and like I said, it still cost me a lot. I had a Tesla, I sold that, um, downsized apartments. I was really back in the trenches. That's what I was saying is a lot like year one of my startup. How do you find the resiliency? I think I mentioned when we were messaging, there was five months where I couldn't walk. Uh, It was like a very odd life experience. Yeah. Where yeah. I, I could walk, I was just in um, excruciating pain. Yes, yeah, it's, it's wild. You don't I don't meet a lot of people that that can relate in that way. But but I mean it's nothing compared to, you know, what you're what you've been experiencing. How did you find the resiliency to carry on to have the phone calls with the insurance companies? When I was going through what I was going through, it was just a lot. Like, it's really mentally taxing to be so physically in pain. Yeah, very much so. I think this sounds like a cold answer, but this is my opinion. I, I think everyone's different, and be it genetics or how I was raised or whatever, whatever it may be, mentally, there was some very difficult times with this. But I'm thankful it happened to me and, and, and not 
other people. Um, I, I somehow I'm constructed in a way that was able to, to remain relatively positive through most of it. And I, I don't know why that is. Um, but I'm very thankful that that's the case. Yeah. I, there's, there was difficult times when things weren't going right and decisions opened up and, uh, um, you know, the doctors couldn't figure out what's wrong and infections showed up and that's really frustrating. But I certainly always had and still have my eye on a goal of being back to how I was before, physically healthy and normal. And, and as long as the opportunity is there to do so, I'm going to do everything I can to make that happen. I am almost sure that had I been paralyzed or had brain damage, I'd really struggle mentally. I think mm. I'd have a really hard time being happy. Um, but I was lucky to not have those things. And I, I mean, I, I can't stress how lucky I was. It's I, I don't think anyone does the amount of damage that I did and can still get, you know, still get back to a relatively what, normal physical state. What's the, if you don't mind me asking, what's the damage it was your leg? It was everything? or How could you ask such a question? Stop. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I know. You can ask me anything. Yeah, I, I shattered my both my knees, both my femurs, split my pelvis in half, broke my spine in two places. Oh, my God. And that you didn't break your spine in a place where you could have been paralyzed. No, I, I definitely did break in a place where I could have been paralyzed. Oh. You know, after the accident happening, when I say I got as lucky as anyone could possibly get, I, I really did. I don't know how much you want to talk about it, but after this crash, and I don't remember the crash. I remember yeah. the plane ride up and waking up for a few moments in the hospital and then passing out from pain. But a guy saved my life after the crash. I was on the ground not breathing. Uh, there's a fellow named Richard. Thank you, Richard. He was there training military at this at this drop zone. That's what you call a skydiving place. And he's a lifetime firefighter, EMT. So I hit the ground really hard. I was flying a very fast parachute. I hit the ground at like 80 miles an hour, and everyone there thought I was dead. I had a helmet on, obviously. So everyone, this is what I was told. This is what people around told me and Richard told me. But people thought I, it was just dead. So they said, don't touch him. You know, wait till the, the paramedics come. But I wasn't breathing. Richard pulled my helmet off, and he told me he was afraid it'd break my neck if he pulled it off. But if he didn't pull it off, I was I was not breathing. I was going to die. So he took the risk to pull it off. I wasn't breathing. He did jaw thrusts and got me breathing and into a stable enough position to to make it to a hospital, um, which is just, it, it's wild. So anyway, I don't, I don't have any video of it or anything. The camera was destroyed. <laughs> My helmet was destroyed. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I made it to a hospital, a not, I, well, I don't want to say anything bad things, any bad things about a hospital, but a smaller hospital near the drop zone. And then I'm lucky enough to have some uh, friends in the medical field who knew surgeons at Cedar sinai and I was able to get transferred there for all my surgery, which made all the difference. I think they were going to cut a leg off at the first hospital. <gasps> I have a, a, an orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Moon, who's just incredible. I mean, he's he's, I mean... You guys can't see me because this is a podcast, but I can walk and jump and run and I've been snowboarding and surfing and playing tennis and, and living pretty normally pretty quickly after I broke all that stuff. So uh, my my orthopedic surgeon and my spine surgeon and my infectious disease doctor have all just been incredible. I mean, it, it makes all the difference. That's amazing. It makes, really makes me feel like there's an angel watching over you. 
Well, me, me too. And that's, that's when I, what I keep talking about mindset is because I just feel so lucky to still be here. I feel like I really need to make the most of my time. That he was there is crazy. If he wasn't there, step one, that would have... Yeah, I'd be dead. I, I mean, the first week I was really touch and go. And I remember bits and pieces of this. But like I, I didn't know this at the time, but I talked to my spine surgeon. I, I have a spinal fusion, my upper thoracic now, which doesn't affect things much because there's not a whole lot of movement there. But I was talking to my spine surgeon a few months after surgery, and he's like, our goal is to get you on and off the operating table as quick as possible because you were barely alive. You wouldn't have lasted very long there. And they had a few surgery attempts where they had to bail on them because I wasn't I wasn't going to make it. Wow. So, um, yeah, I just <laughs> I can't say more times how lucky I got. I don't, I don't know. What, this keeps coming up for me while you're talking, and I haven't brought it up because it sounds so cheesy, but I'm going to say it out loud anyway. I feel like your passion for building things is the same kind of passion and spirit that's gone into rebuilding your body. Yeah, I would say that's probably accurate. Um, I've always had this mentality where I, I just really want to make the most of what I've been given. So, you know, you're, you're given a mind and a physical body. And somehow I think probably great parenting and, again, maybe genetics or something, I've always liked to – well, I like chocolate chip cookies. But <laughs> I've liked to eat healthy and, and work out and, and really take care of my mind and body as much as possible – uh, because I do feel like I have some things I'd like to contribute to the world, and it's probably necessary to take care of those assets in order to achieve those goals. We were talking about that before your accident, there was a period where you're like, okay, I'm I'm going to take time to like live and not just hustle. Yeah. And, and then you said you learned something, and I know you shared that you, something, but I feel like there's still like a lack of clarity and like what is this? thing that you embraced that skyrocketed your company after the accident? Man, I don't know. <laughs> like something changed, you Something said. changed for sure because the results have changed so much. I went from having, again, a business that supported me just fine to live a, a great lifestyle. I had a lot of uh, time to do with as I like, and I had enough money to travel and skydive. Skydiving is a very expensive sport if you do a lot of it. <laughs> um so I, I think I'm just more focused on longer-term goals at this point. I, you know, I've had a lot of fun. I feel like I've lived five lives. I've had a, been lucky enough to have a lot of really cool experiences. And uh, now I think it's – I feel like it's, it's really time to start focusing on giving back to the world and, and, and uh, you know, doing some things that can really have a positive impact on the world. So it's really it's it's tough to pinpoint what it is. I'm just again every day is a gift and I'm putting out as much positive energy as I can and I think that that resonates with uh my clients and p- potential clients and uh I'm you know putting a value on my time that I have never put before. It's it it costs quite a bit more than it used to and it's working out just fine. When you say that do you mean that you charge more you charge your worth and you and you do it with confidence yeah absolutely so i I mean again happy to talk numbers Um, my client work now is is again doing product design and development and 
what I charge is generally between 20 and 30K a month per client. And I work with no more than four clients per month. So it's quite a bit more than I used to charge. And how did you get, like, what was your headspace like before? And then what changed? And to still get the yes that, that clients will pay you? I don't know, man. Like, you know, all the skills matter, like the technical skills, knowing what you're talking about, knowing how to sell deals, communicating effectively with different types of people. But that's all stuff that I put an emphasis, an emphasis on, on learning well before this accident. It, I feel like I've always been confident in myself, but maybe it's more confidence. I feel like it's purpose. Yeah. Did you have a sense of purpose before the accident? Like not like like global purpose. I I always I, yeah, I I always had big goals that I wanted to achieve, but I wasn't actually taking the right steps towards achieving them. I I was sort of pedaling in place again. I I really got complacent and uh, I I just took my foot off the gas. And and now you know, we keep talking about money and like money is something that sure it's, it's important and it's in life's a lot more fun when you have some money versus not having money. It's, it's a lot better. Uh, but now I, I think money's not the main motivator for me. If you remember, I mentioned this year has been most productive except for maybe the, the first year of my business when I really needed to dig myself out of, out of a financial hole. I mean, I was, I was bad. Um, and I got out of that hole pretty quick, like I was able to. Uh, but this time, it's there. There's, you know, I'm I've gotten out of another financial hole, and there's no letting off the gas this time because mm-hmm. I'm comfortable. So sure, maybe it is a sense of purpose or, or a, a, you know, a clear vision of those longer term goals. Um, but the the as soon as you have an, you know, I guess this time around is I have enough to live comfortably and stuff and. And now it's it's just more of a, a byproduct. Um, I just it's not it's nice to not be a worry when when you're when you're financially stressed. It's hard to be creative and be good at stuff. The reason why I ask is because something I think about often and something I talk with a lot of people about is imposter syndrome and price filtering. So a lot a lot of us have imposter syndrome, and then because of our imposter syndrome, well, we may not charge as much because we don't think we're worth as much or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And then there's this other concept of price filtering that if you're not charging the amount that is a healthy amount to charge, then you're actually attracting the wrong customers um, and you're attracting a different type of community. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting um, when when the whole fake it till you make it. Mm. (laughs) Like I think – like how you said, well, you know, before the accident you were charging X, and then after the accident you were charging Y. Mm-hmm. Nothing really changed except your headspace. Exactly. Which is a trip, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, sure. After the accident, I worked really hard on getting recurrent with the tool sets that I use and 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 developing my skill sets and stuff. But sure, not nothing really changed objectively A to B. Um, not not by much. So yeah, I, I think both of those things you mentioned are true and, and exist. I think true confidence is earned. Um, and, and if you are faking it till you make it, uh, smart clients can see through that. 
but I wasn't faking it before. So it, mm. really, it's it's hard to pinpoint what changed besides just mindset. It it's funny. I with imposter syndrome. I'm 11 years now of having We Are LA Tech. My imposter syndrome has gotten worse in the past year and a half than mm. I've ever had. The it's definitely not at the beginning. Yeah. So I'm like, what has been going on in the past year and a half that all of a sudden I have like I actually have earned my time here and. I, I don't know. It's crazy. You know, it's a weird deal. Everyone has different mental challenges. I think uh, I heard that when you conquer yourself, you can conquer the world. And I, I really think mm -hmm. that's, that's true. Yeah. Uh, it's important to spend a lot of time understanding how your mind works. Agree. And, and getting to know yourself. And I, I think that is a, a good path forward from a lot of those sorts of problems. Agree. I think your resiliency and strength in what you've overcome and what you continue to overcome says so much about what it's like to work with you. I mean, even being here, like you were here early and you were so thoughtful when you arrived. Like what what makes working with your firm the firm that people should work with to build? All of those things. I mean, from a sheer value perspective – I've developed a, a process that is unique to my firm and differentiated from sort of traditional industrial design and mechanical engineering. Uh, it, it allows us to produce deliverables that are on par with some of the larger, more expensive firms like a frog or an IDEO uh, in a much more efficient manner, so at a lower price point and, and generally quicker. So uh, that's a, you know that's sort of a core value. On top of that, Everything you mentioned is important. Um, I, I mean, I answer my phone all day, every day. I, <laughs> I sent a client a message yesterday, a client I have on retainer that said, hey, we're nearing the end of the month. You still have capacity with me. Is there anything we can do? I love that. You, you know, I, I strive to provide value so there is no viable alternatives for clients. Like I want to make it impossible for them to say, no, we're going somewhere else, and uh, I don't mind working really hard to do that. And, and you know, a big part of that is the years of developing efficient processes and and working to have really cutting-edge tool sets and software and hardware and relationships with the companies that supply those tool sets. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that, but at, at the end of the day, it allows, it, it allows me to create a, a, a great value for clients who have projects that are a good fit for my capabilities. Where do you go to see community within the tech space here in L.A.? We are tech stuff. <laughs> um, when I started my business, I used to go to tons of tech events and networking events. And it was really cool. That, you know, that, that's another thing. Like you show up to the, these events and, and, and these startups, they'll have like, I don't know, a modeler and intern standing there handing out business cards. And, you know, I'm not saying this to brag, but when I started, I would bring a 3D printer. I'd bring a projector. I brought all sorts of shit. It, I don't know if I can No, it's okay. I'm sorry. That's fine. Okay, cool. And, and, you know, you have to do stuff to differentiate yourself and stand out a little bit. Lately, to be honest, I haven't been super involved in the tech scene. I'm probably on Twitter more than anywhere else. And again, that's that's sort of in line with with like moving out of downtown. I mean, my my business, I still call it a startup, but it's more established at this point. And most of my clients are startups, but 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 they're coming to to me. 
if that pipeline starts falling short, then they'll start showing up to more events. But right now I'm really just focused on design work and and uh, helping clients achieve their goals and working towards my goals and stuff. So I'm just not out networking quite as much as I used to. And I, I, I you know, you have, you have to pay attention to every pillar of business when you have a startup. So that is something I've noticed when I stop creating content or, or doing marketing like that, that, that pipeline of incoming uh, potential clients goes away. So thank you for the reminder. Maybe I should show up to some more events. <laughs> well, no, I actually was thinking how I don't network anymore either. Yeah. And I think it's interesting the different phases that we go through with our companies. I think only one phase is celebrated. Essentially, it's like the networking phase or the acquisition phase. Mm-hmm. But there's all these phases in between. Like as a, as a creator and whatever you call this whole thing that I've been doing for 11 years, I've had to or I'm currently not had to. I'm currently in the process of reinventing what it looks like for me because when yeah. you do the same thing for so many years it starts to get stale totally so i'm like okay what's it look like um what's my studio look like what do my events look like what does my customer experience look like mm-hmm. and so there's all these like in between things that i don't really see that they're talked about they're kind of like in the in the edges. I totally agree. I mean, for the longest time, and I think this is finally changing, but all the headlines we saw was how much a company raised. We raised this much. We're yeah. valued at this mm-hmm. much, which is just, like, absurd to me. Uh, you know, I think bootstrapped startups never got the recognition that totally. they deserved. And that's finally changing a little bit as the venture capital and investment landscape shifts shifts a little bit. Um, and, you know, maybe people are starting to realize, like, profitability is important, too. Totally. Not just gaining market share. So I, I'm glad to see that, 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 the, that the broader, like, mass market uh, is, is becoming more aware of the metrics of building businesses that, that really are important. It's, you know, you can only go through so many cycles of a company raising a ton of money, gaining a, a ton of market share, and then going out of business, like, without ever being profitable. So, What is it, Quibi? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, it, you know, everyone talks about being in the trenches and stuff. And, man, every, every business's journey is different. Um all the phases are interesting because they're all different. As you say, here you are 11 years on, and it's like, what do I do to switch things up? What do you do to learn? What do you do to, to keep things interesting, to do things differently? Yeah. And, like, that's, you know, that's that's an imp- that's important. It's, it's, it's really Im- – I, I think the, the only thing I can say on this is it's important to be really aware of your position um, and, and how the world evolves and how your business evolves – and to stay sharp on things that you might need to change. Uh, you know, they keep talking about complacency, but yeah, it, it's easy to get comfortable. It's and, like and Kodak. Fall behind. Kodak went out of business. Oh, yeah. You really? know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Kodak is around forever and ever and ever, and then they don't make any changes and totally. then snip. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, their, their, their like market segment moved on. Yeah. So. It's really, it's really interesting. Um, do you, you talked about in the beginning, you talked about, you know, the the hustle and the living, and then you talked about it after, you know, you had so many learnings with your accident. Do you think it's possible to be successful and to, like, 
live abundantly or do you think it's it's required to grind away every single day mm -hmm. in order to have a successful company? I think they're both definitely possible. Uh, there's so many different paths to whatever your definition of success might be. I think that generally people that are trying to do things significant that have a real impact on the world walk on glass or go through some hard times. I, 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 think, I think it's hard to create something that is uh, innovative or, or, or has real impact and isn't just like a, you know, a, a copy-paste of a dropshipping business or something without really putting in a lot of work and time and, and sacrifice. If you're talking about financial success, there, there's ways to make lots of money without, uh, you know, without putting in that, that sort of uh, intentional work. Um, so yeah. what's the what's the vision that you have? Like, what's your next step for your company? Like, if you could have anything even a year from now or even if a few months from now, yeah. what is the where is it going? My goal is to longer term goal is to move on from client work. Uh, as I as I said, I run no more than four client projects at a time right now. I was starting to do this before the skydiving accident and I had this big reset, but I, I'd like to take over one, maybe two of those slots to work on internal product development and ideas. And, I, and I've had ideas for what I thought were great products in the past, but haven't been positioned well to compete with uh, companies that had the infrastructure and, and resources to get to market really quickly. So I, I'd like to just sort of have a, a launch platform for my own product ideas. I mean, it's a lot more scalable, one, and, and two, you know, you can impact a, a wider audience uh, I think an example would be like Dyson. I mean, Dyson is a big mm -hmm. company now, but uh, they just bring to market, they, they design, engineer, and manufacture products that they think are cool and interesting. And uh, it's, a, it's a very successful company. So I'd sort of like to follow in those footsteps. So I'd slowly like to take over those slots that I'm, that I'm giving towards client work to, to, to do internal product design and development. But I'd like to be at the point where I can bootstrap those products to market, to profitability, and, and not bring on any external investment. So uh, no real rush, still doing client work for the time being, and um, you know, happy doing that, still learning from it. Not learning at the same rate I was initially, which is a, a, big, a big consideration. Things do start to get repetitive to some degree, but when you do a wide variety of projects, you're always there's always new things, which is which is really important to me. I mean, the the real equity over for me over the years of having these businesses is is learning um, and, and you know gaining knowledge and experience. Um, in parallel to that, I, I find it takes more effort to stay creative and think outside the box as you become more accustomed to the normalcies and constraints and uh, traditions of the physical world and traditional manufacturing processes and everything like that. So it's wild. I, 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 a few years ago, uh, I, I, I did a little seminar for a STEM program for middle school kids where I, I taught them how to use like CAD software. And like these kids weren't using the software right, but they were doing things in the software that had never occurred to me. It was so creative that there's there that there, there's some like workflows that I still use that I learned from these kids who who like knew nothing about you know why this shouldn't work so 
I, I think as you get older, it, it takes more effort to stay creative, and that's really important. It's funny. When we were talking about networking a second ago and just being so many years in, I miss when I first started becoming an entrepreneur and didn't know anything mm-hmm. because I created everything. Yeah. Innocence is a, is a, is a beautiful and valuable thing. Yeah. Um, or ignorance. Yeah. No, <laughs> absolutely. And, I mean, that's why some people do really cool stuff when they're young. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's – if you go to my website, I, I have this graph I put together where, like, the, there's these diverging lines and one is experience and one is innocence. And you want – and I, I say my goal is to maintain the area under that curve as much as possible. So – raise both of those lines as much as possible because I think that's where real potential uh, lies, at, at least in, 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 you know, in product innovation. A few quick-fire L.A. questions. Uh, who is an L.A. tech company or person you've come across recently who's really impressed you? One of my clients <laughs> is, is, is pretty cool. I, I, don't, I, I, I have an NDA with this project, that's so okay. I can't say his that's name. That's okay. Um, on, a, on, a, on a more like broad Spectrum, I, I think the aerospace and and rocket businesses in LA are, are really cool. Um, I have some friends that that work for the rocket companies, and and you know we have some commonalities with additive manufacturing and, and production. So I, I think a lot of cool stuff is happening in the in the space space right now. And what is it if somebody were to land in LA and wanting to get involved in the tech community? What would you suggest that they do? Go to events. I mean, there's still tons of them. LA Tech Week's really cool. Connect with you, Esprit. Um, just get out and network. I I went to I, I went to some LA Tech Week events and I was like so impressed. Like there's there's a few people that was just really outgoing. People I saw on Twitter and they're like, Hey, I'm here in LA. I live here, and like they were just meeting everyone they they could. And I was like, That that's how you have to do it. Um, Definitely. And restaurant that you recommend we check out. Hmm. I like zinc on Melrose. There's mm. actually there's two zincs, Z-I-N-C and Z-I-N-Q-U-E, and they're both great. But if you go to the Q-U-E one, the steak frites is really good. Yummy, yummy. And what activity do you recommend? Play backgammon. Backgammon? <laughs> That's what I've been Where? doing lately. Where do you play it? Oh, there's, there's, a, there's a Venice backgammon club. Uh, we, oh, my God. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I did that. Yeah, it's yes, cool. they did it at Noy House a few weeks ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was my first time playing backgammon. Yes, it's super cool. The Venice Backgammon Club. The founder is really nice. Yeah, Kurt or Kevin. There's a few of them. Uh, Claire. Was, no, a guy. Kurt, maybe. I, I think yeah, so. Super yeah, super cool. I only say that because I've been limited away from most of my physical activities, so I started playing backgammon again. But honestly, it's a it's a really cool group of people, interesting people, a lot of people in tech, a lot of people that do cool things. So uh, that you know that if you land in LA, that's a good place to start. It is a good recommendation, hundred percent. And backgammon's a lot of fun. And my last question, which is a selfish question, is I love software. Uh, What is your favorite mobile app or website? This, I mean, this is this sounds ridiculous, but I, I, I like uh, like the Ring app. I can, 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 can look at my true. security and control the garage <laughs> and all that stuff. It's super helpful. <laughs> That's a good one. I have Ring. I'm as trying well. to say something besides like a social media app. No, it's okay. You could say a social app. I, I try to be really intentional with my time on on screens on my phone and the computer and stuff. And yeah. most of it's work. I mean, I watch a lot of YouTube, but oh, I watch a lot of YouTube too. Yeah, is it great. which channel? 
Oh, Are you a I'm sucker all for? over the place. I'm, oh, man. Is it mostly hardware stuff? or what? Yeah, you- I, I watch a channel called Dark Arrow. They're developing an experimental composite kit plane, and they're documenting it really well on YouTube. And, yeah. like, for, they go through all the engineering and stuff, and I just find that uh, very interesting. What's it called again? It's, I think it's Dark Arrow. Dark Arrow. Dark I'll Arrow look it one. Up. But yeah, super cool. It's like these three brothers, and they're all engineers, and they're all super smart. And like I, I nerd out on that. Have you watched the Diary of a CEO podcast? Mm-mm. Amazing, and it's on YouTube and Spotify. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're gonna hate me. I don't like watch TV, listen to podcasts, or hardly anything. No, 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 no it's the wrong answer. So. No, no, it's not the wrong. Answer. I'm just letting you know okay. that is worth watching. Good recommendation, Sam. Thank you for so much for hanging out with the We Are Late Tech podcast. I'm so glad we made this happen. Me too. Sorry for the delay, and thank you for having me. And I had a lot of fun. How can people connect with you? Easiest way is is. Through my website or social media. It's Can you spell it? Yeah. Sure. Birchin Design House. B-R-C-H-N Design House. So the website's birchindesignhouse.com and just Birchin Design House. Or my name is Sam Birchinoff. I'm on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, all that. And I highly suggest his Twitter. If you want to connect and collaborate with more amazing people in the Los Angeles tech community, remember to go to wearelatech.com slash community. That's wearelatech.com slash community. And say hello on social at wearelatech on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, all the things in the next episode. Bye. Bye. This is Sam Birchinoff, founder of Birchin Design House, a product design and development house in West Hollywood. And you are listening to We Are LA Tech. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.